This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And today I'd like all of you to leave with, uh, <laughs> don't leave yet, but to, <laughs> I'd like all of you to leave with a, um, with a sense of, of what it would take to master free will. Like how could you master free will? You know, you choose and you choose and you choose and you choose. And all day long you have macro choices, which I'm sure a lot of you, if you're in this classroom, you're considering the macro choices, like where, where do I interface with Judaism? That's a very macro choice. Like, am I going to actually maybe live in Israel? That's a macro choice. Who am I going to marry? Macro choice. Those are big macro choices. But you also have tons, thousands of micro choices throughout the day. Throughout the day. Even today, you had many, many choices on those micro choices. And God leaves you a lot of the macro choices to the side. A lot of the micro choices, though, he, he does autopilot a little bit because it could be you're supposed to be like exactly standing in a certain spot, blocking someone else who's going to cross the street and get hit by a bus. And so God will have you stand there for a second. And so the person had to stop for a second and then the bus went flying by. And then you walked and that person walked right behind the bus. But they happened to be answering a cell phone right when they wouldn't have seen the bus and they weren't going to see the bus and God had to have you stop for a second. So there's a lot of your micro stuff autopiloted. You think you're choosing it, but you're actually getting autopiloted because have you noticed how much people are getting orchestrated around you, like how your life's constantly orchestrated? So a lot of the micro stuff gets taken over by God, which is fun. I like it. You know, I, I, was, uh, I was just taken over recently, which was pretty cool. Um, I especially like the circumstance that I was taken over in because I was, I was riding up uh, mountain bikes. I'm a mountain biker, so I was riding up in the Lebanese border area with the, one of the top pros in Israel. And we finished our ride, or he finished his ride. And I was like, I drove two hours. I'm not done. So I still had more juice and wanted to ride. But I don't know the area. Just then, like this Russian high-tech worker guy on a, like, a really nice bike comes riding up. And he knew the pro. And the pro said hi to him and, and like kind of handed me off like a baton to this Russian guy. And next thing you know, we're just flying down this mountain, like an amazing downhill. We get to the bottom of this, like we're really lost a lot of elevation over the last eight, ten minutes. And he gets a flat. And he would have been just totally stuck because he forgot his pump. You don't mountain bike without a pump. But he, now he's got me. And I'm like, here's a pump. And we fixed his tire and pumped it up and kept riding. And he got to enjoy the rest of his ride. He had just gotten there and he wanted to ride. And uh, so I, was, I got to be the guy for that. And I really wanted to do another trail than the one we did. Because my guy had told me there was another trail. But this guy didn't want to do it. And I chose to go with him instead of the trail my guide recommended. Okay, so you're making lots of choices. Let's talk about what it is to be a master. Now, are you going to leave here a master of choosing? No, but you're going to at least know the categories of mastery. So when mastering free will, there are um, five categories, and uh, they go like this. The first is constant. The second is battleground. The third is, did I write Battleground? I feel bad if you started writing. My bad. <laughs> Constant reevaluation. 
Battleground. Soul. God. Constant reevaluation, Battleground, Soul, God. Okay, let's try that together. Constant reevaluation, Battleground, Soul, God. Uh, everyone say this. We're going to memorize it. Ready? We're going to say it three times reading and then uh, four times not reading. Here we go. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. By heart. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Two more. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Constant reevaluation, battleground, soul, God. Wasn't that fun? So, okay, now you've memorized the class. Now we're ready to fill in the blanks. So constant is that your every second's a chance for a choice. And this is a lot of the mindfulness work that's out there, that there's always a chance for a choice. And you might think there's no chance for a choice right now because you're already in the class, right? So could you choose anything now? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, you can. You can choose a lot of things. You can choose to take a deep breath, for example. Your breathing could be more... You could do uh, cognitive breathing, meaning be involved cognitively with your breath. You could change your posture right now. You could choose to sit next to the person you're sitting next to. Everyone take a peek. Many of you probably came with the person, but but, uh, some some of you didn't. And so make a choice. Some of you, uh, raise your hand if you're just following the schedule today and I just happen to show up. Well, that doesn't feel so good. <laughs> choose to be with, right? You can choose to be with me now as opposed to me just being the next class. How many of you woke up in Jerusalem today? Wait, raise your hand. You woke up here. Okay, now I want you to imagine that you, because the people who chose to come to Jerusalem are on a higher level than you are right now in the mastery of free will, right? The people who, who came here today. Raise your hand if you came here today from out of town. Okay? So, okay, now now the... um, Imagine you're in your hometown and someone walks up to you in a Merlin outfit and is holding two pills. And he says, you take the red pill, you're in Jerusalem. You take the blue pill, you're staying in your hometown. Now, picture yourself grabbing the red pill... Putting it in your mouth, drinking a cup of water, and everyone close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes on the count of three. Open your eyes. One, two, three. <laughs> Here you are. So you can actually choose what is, and that's the mindfulness part of this, is you can choose what is anytime. And and when and it also is to choose relationships that you already have. Like for example, anyone married in this room? Married people? Married people? Okay. Okay, uh, you can say yes to that. How long are you two married? Four months. Four months, yeah. I could tell she raised her hand a hell of a lot faster than you did. Okay. <laughs> He's still getting over it. So, the, uh, I'm just kidding. But the, uh, you should know that men, this is why women have to be so well behaved when they get married, because when a man gets engaged, he has this voice in his head saying that you just made the biggest mistake in your entire life. And that voice gets quieter and quieter. Sorry, it gets louder and louder till the wedding day. That's why when a girl gets engaged, she should stay away from him because all the stuff that you used to do that he thought was cute is now 
freaking him out. I mean, think about it. When he was saying, like, maybe she's the one, maybe she's the one. So everything he did cute was actually cute. But once he's got something else saying, like, like you just blew it. So, the, uh, so all the cute stuff's no longer cute. So just stay away from the guy till your wedding day. And then from the wedding day, that voice gets quieter and quieter for the next 50 years. And that's just because men are jerks. Men are just jerks. And so, and so to this day, my wife, and we're married 24 years. My wife's still like, I get a different meal than the kids oftentimes. Things are used to, you were at my house for Shabbos. You saw that the salad course, you noticed yeah, mine, yeah, yeah. Came, mine came plated. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's just like she is in a constant state of letting me know that, that you know, she's my woman, you know, and... She's dedicated all the way, and she never stops. She changes before I come home. Like, she, find, she finds out when I'm coming home and changes outfits just for me coming home 24 years later. Wow. Okay? She never stops. And, and she's not going to stop. She just keeps moving on that because she knows that you, you, you're, you're never done. You're <coughs> never done courting your spouse. And everyone should get that clear. You're never done. I have to, I'm courting her. I'm courting her. You know, they, you're never done courting your spouse. As soon as you start resting on that stuff, thinking, oh, been there, done that, let's move on. No, you got to court your spouse all the years. Now, the, um, anyway, so you can choose your spouse, even though you've been married to them for a long time. You can choose your spouse. And also your parents. I mean, uh, can I borrow your phone for a second? Tell me, how long would you spend on the phone? Do you notice how, ladies, you notice how your mother always has this unsolicited advice? I mean, you didn't ask for it, but she's going to give it. And men, you notice how your father's always giving you unsolicited advice? So, now, tell me, when your father's giving you unsolicited advice, how old are you? 18. Do you feel 18 or 9? Like 4. 4. How long do you spend on the phone with someone who makes you feel like you're four? <laughs> so the answer is you make it as short as possible. So every conversation is kind of like, hello, uh, yeah, oh, hi, Dad, yeah, it's really bad timing. I know I said that last time. Yeah, I'm going to Mincha. Yeah, I know it's still the morning. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> so it's like, have you noticed, like, there's certain people can never call at the right time? So, so is... So you can actually choose them. And one day I realized, I get that unsolicited advice from my father all the time. And one day I realized that he's just saying I love you in his language. And so I choose my father when he calls now. And I don't hear much of what he's saying, except all I hear is just, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Which he doesn't necessarily say. I mean, now he's older and he says it, but... But it was always just advice. And now I just hear I love you. And so you can choose that. But let's bring God into all this. Why? I mean, we're here in Jerusalem. Let's talk God now. Um, here's God. Hi, God. And then there's past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. Okay. Now, 
Is God aware of past, present, and future? Mm-hmm. Show yeah. is. Is this still on the ball? Is God aware of past, present, and future? Yes. Is God creating? Here's the trick part. Is God creating right now? Right now? Past, present, and future? Yes. You're supposed to sit there puzzled. Sorry. The problem is I gave the hint. Is God creating right now? Right now. Now. Is God creating past, present, and future right now? I didn't ask if he's aware of it. God's outside of time. God's obviously aware of past, present, and future. But is he creating present tense? Can I make this any clearer? Is he creating in the present tense right now, past, present, and future? Yes, of course. So the answer is no. He is not. No, he's not. Can we all just in unison say no, okay? It's not going to take anything away from your theology that you're holding on to here. God still remains omniscient, okay? He's still omniscient. But he is, but God isn't creating yesterday, everybody. Okay, that happened. He is not creating tomorrow. It will be happening. But he's he's not involved with that right now. God's creating. What is God creating right now? Right now. Right now. Okay. So everyone, just say the word no together. One, two, three. No. No. Is God creating a year ago? No. Is God creating a year from now? No. Is he creating a day ago? No. A day from now. An hour ago, an hour from now, a minute ago, a minute from now, a second ago, a second ago. Where is God? Now. I didn't say, when is God? I said, where is God? And the answer is, when? Now. And so what you discover is the hot spot. Where God interfaces the USB cable face, the USB cable, the USB <laughs> interface of God and creation. The USB interface of God and creation is right here and right now, and always has been, which is really amazing because you've always. Has there ever been anything but now in your life? Tell me, a nice lady. You ever had anything but now happen? that ever happened? Anything but now? You ever had anything but now over there, Rafael? Nope. That ever happened for you? You ever had anything in your entire life existence? Anything from the day you were born till this moment? Have you ever had anything but now? Yeah. Tell us about it. I've had worries for I was not asking if you had projected yourself into the nebulous futures and and gotten all the anxiety that that comes with. I wasn't asking that. We've all done that. My question was, have you ever experienced anything but now? And I asked if you'd ever experienced. You can't experience the future. You can ex- you can project yourself there and experience anxiety, maybe. Yeah. Now. That I'm now having anxiety because I've projected myself out of the reality and into some future that 
God knows how it's going to come out. I mean, think about what's today. You know what today's? Today's the future you were worrying about yesterday. How's it going so far? Pretty good. Yeah, it's always pretty good. <laughs> now, the... So, so now is the only thing you've ever experienced. Have you ever experienced anything? What's your name? Jay. Jay. Have you ever experienced anything but now in your life? Never. So I'm just going to add, uh, I probably know your name, but I can't remember it. Uh, what's your name? Nomi. Nomi. So, Nomi, you'll like this part, because it's part of the death cult thing, <laughs> is, that, um, <laughs> is that now is always happening, right? Mm-hmm. Now is always happening, and, and as long as you don't think about it, it's here. Because what would happen if you tried to think about right now? What would happen? It would already be. It would already go. Like you can't. You can't get your finger on it because it just slips away. So it, interestingly, your mind is the only part that can't interface with now, which is strange. Because as soon as you try to put your mind on now, it goes to the past. So it must be you. You have some other access to now because you're all there right now. Because I just kind of tricked all of you into getting here now. So since you're all here now, it must be your. You're approaching now with some other aspect of yourself besides the mind. Because the mind's no good at it. Your mind can never access now. Which, by the way, makes you crazy. <laughs> you know why? Because the, uh, now, right? Now is what's happening, so that's reality. Now, if your mind can't access now, but is always either like dealing with the past or the future, right? If your mind's always time traveling like that, that means you're never in reality. Well, what do you call someone out of touch with reality? What's the term for someone out of touch with reality? Um, can I have you come up to a seat here and let these ladies sit together, please? In the, yeah, you. Just come sit. You got this? What's the definition of sanity? Someone who's in touch with? Reality. What's the definition of insanity? Someone who's out of touch with? Reality, what's the one thing your mind can't do? Get in touch with. It can't get in touch with. It can't, well, I don't want to use get in touch with, but it can't think about now without it disappearing already. So, meaning, meaning you're crazy. Except what? You have something beyond the mind. And that beyond the mind is called your awareness. Are you aware? Everybody, I'm asking you all a question right now, very directly. I might even call on you. Are you aware that you're aware right now? Are you aware of the fact that you're aware of being in this classroom? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll realize that that's already two components. There's you being aware. And then there's that you're in this classroom, the awareness of being in this classroom. So there's, there's you being aware of yourself. So that you is the true you, and that interfaces perfectly with now. As you can see, you're going to ride the wave of now. Easily, as long as you stay in the true you. Then you have a mind that sees the world and time as an object, which, of course, never is going to work with time because time's not an object. God never created time. Do you know that? Creation doesn't include time. There's no let there be time. (laughs) Time's totally, it has to do with, how do you say it? It's uh, relative to other objects and stuff. You know, there's no, there's no real day except you have to have a sun up there that we spin and then there's time. You know, you need objects, you need 
movement. Like time isn't its own thing. It's a psycho for us. It's psychological purely because you've only experienced now. You've never had any experience but now. And the fact that you're aware that you're aware of being in this room right now means that you do have access to now. Because that part of you that's aware perfectly interfaces. In fact, I would even go so far to say that it only interfaces with now. And you've always been interfaced with it. Meaning you've always been here. You have been taken or hijacked by the mind. And it's led you to its past and future modalities that it keeps shooting or ricocheting between. But once you get aware of that, you perfectly interface with now. And another great thing about interfacing with now is you get really caring and loving when you're interfacing with now. Because, because once you're... Sorry. Another great thing about being aware of that awareness is that you become much more loving because once you're aware of your awareness, well, guess what? He's got one too. He's also got an awareness. And so does he. And so does she. And so does she. And what distinguishes our awareness, clearly my awareness isn't your awareness, but they probably have like a trillion more in common because we're talking about the soul. And we, therefore, I'm not going to ever compete with anyone as long as I'm in that state of soul which called that awareness is the soul. So as long as I'm in that state of soul, there's never going to be competition between you and I. I will never be rating myself based on my where I stand in any category versus you. And therefore there can be peace and there can be love. There can be connection, which is our greatest desire. It's all you ever wanted. And so now we come full circle that really your greatest desire which is connection, is achievable by allowing the soul's awareness of awareness of mind to be present. Whereas when you're in the mind's awareness, which is just purely physiological mind, so you're either going to be smarter or dumber, better looking, less better looking, thinner or fatter, richer or poor, and you're automatically introducing hierarchy. And once you're in hierarchy, you're, you're not going to be feeling that kind of love. You're going to be feeling that kind of connection. So you're out of connection. Western civilization thrives on that. Western civilization thrives on hierarchy. Competition. It's the Greek model. They tried to destroy Jerusalem. They tried to destroy everything I'm talking about. And they literally mowed through country after country. Later, in the hands of the Romans, more conquerors. Eventually, the conquest and then in the, with the fake emblem of a cross did the same exact Western thing to all the people in the Central America, the Amazon, Native Americans and mostly to the Jews because we're the we have the prophetic tradition our tradition doesn't come from some freaky brew that Indians brew in jungles ours comes from prophecy 
that's a real threat. Meaning, you got a bunch of jungle bunnies, you know, drinking magic brew, who have now gotten in touch with pure awareness. Not a big threat. Let's just get them to behave and we'll ship, we'll turn all their crops into bananas so they starve, but we get bananas in cheap form. So you can't live only off bananas in, those, in Costa Rica. But we'll just turn Costa Rica into one giant banana plantation for our needs, says the West. But the Jews, they're dangerous. They got the prophetic line. And they also have a covenant with the orchestrator of reality which means they're always going to be around. They have an eternal covenant. There'll be a thorn in our side. We're never going to be able to create hierarchy as long as there are Jews around. And you guys, I'm telling you, go Google this later. Look who's on the front line. Who was on the front lines of every liberal tear down the hierarchy of the West protest and still on the front lines of every lobby against those things and all the leading the liberals to death to their victories. You know, it's always Jews. It's always Jews there trying to rip out structure. It's Jews who are showing the, the, uh, you know, the, the movies back before they had private screens on every seat. It was only the Jewish airline that had to show stuff that kids just shouldn't be watching. American Airlines didn't show that stuff. They still had some sense that their kids on board. And the Jews who keep the Torah, like my compatriots, often dressing a lot like me, they, uh, they're a little more conservative in nature when it comes to structure and lines. and They don't believe at all in hierarchy, so I'm asking all of you to go a little more diffuse thinking and, and more mature right now. I want you to think in a very mature way beyond conservative and liberal. Because Torah draws big, fat lines. There are 365 red lines that are thou shalt not do. There are 365 big old red lines. And you want to know something? When you click on any of those red lines, it takes you to a website that you can just keep scrolling down because it's going to tell you what not to do in detail you just never dreamed of. And the reason why is because when you have a prophetic line, it, you can actually, we, we actually have access to things that are spiritual contaminants, things that are not going to be spiritually, what was our word the other day, spiritually? <coughs> productive. And so we have a nice, long, detailed list of what's not spiritually productive for the soul. Not any soul, just a soul that had prophecy. And it was our luck, we had to have national prophecy. I mean, like, I understand anyone's going to go up high spiritually as an individual. You're definitely going to be like, you're going to be curtailed with your, you know, what you can do and cannot do after that. You know, just like someone who goes high in relationship, which is called marriage. Yeah, there's a lot of rules after that. Once you get married, there's a lot of rules there. Like, you want to go high in anything. You want to go high in business. And become an executive. And I think the women in Manhattan probably only, the executive women in Manhattan, only can shop in Borough Park. 
Because it's the only place that has enough fabric to clothe an executive woman. Because once you're on that level in a business, in a company, in law, in, in finance, in real estate, an executive woman has to wear more clothing. Because there's more rules when you climb any, any place. So obviously, someone who got prophecies held to different standards. It was just our luck that the entire nation got prophecy at Sinai. And hence, we all have the 365. And the reason why Gentiles, and a shout out to all my Gentile students who watch every day. I love you guys and gals. Gentiles are only given five things they can't do. It's just a list of five things. They have two positive things to do and five things not to do. Because they didn't have prophecy. They're not that sensitive. We are highly sensitive. Now here's where I want you to put on your mature brains. And that is that, that we got serious big lines. But we're against hierarchy. We are interested in hierarchy of competence. Meaning we want very smart people to be surgeons. Hierarchy of competence is great. We want highly competent people to be creating security programming for the country and for the army and for our homes. Like that. We want a hierarchy of competence and we want them making more money because we want the smartest people incentivized to take those roles. Everybody wants that. So that much we're into hierarchy. We're also into hierarchy that Torah says is a hierarchy. For example, the, the, the um, monarchy never leaves the tribe of Judah. That's a hierarchy. Because if you're a king, you are the highest of the hierarchy. And that never leaves the tribe of Judah. doesn't matter how great a leader someone from Benjamin is, or someone from the tribe of Levi is, or someone from the tribe of, of uh, Zebulun is. If you're not from Yehuda, you're not leading the country. And there's also hierarchy that we believe in deeply because we have a prophecy that there's something called a Kohen who's the, who run the service in the temple. And there are Levites. And then there's the rest of the Jewish people, the other tribes. We believe in that hierarchy because we have prophecy that there is such a hierarchy. But outside of that, tear down the walls because we're souls. And when you come from a soul place, the beggar and the billionaire will sing all the songs by the same candlelight on Shabbos dinner. The beggar and the billionaire will sit next to each other for 30 years in a synagogue. And we be, they will be best friends. No hierarchy in our community. You have to live near a shul, so you're not going to be able to go out to the suburbs and live next door to Biffy and Chrissy because you've got to walk to shul. So yes, the richest guy in the whole entire synagogue is going to live right there in town with all the people who, didn't, who can't afford to live in mansions in the suburbs. He's going to live in town with you. <laughs> We don't believe in hierarchies. We're not into being exclusive. We're inclusive. Because when you generate from the awareness of your awareness, when you generate from soul, there's no hierarchies. We're all one. 
And this also includes, you ready for this? This also includes Gentiles. Meaning, there is for sure the nation of Israel, and then there's the rest of the nations. Our dream for the rest of the nations is that they all unite together, drop their differences, no hierarchies. You realize right now, right now, the planet's like heading towards another Cold War, and we're, we're like, it's all just power and might makes right. It's literally animal kingdom in human form. I mean, they're like fighting over a shovel in a sandbox. Leaders of state. We don't believe in that hierarchy. We pray every New Year's, that all the nations of the world should become one united nation. Not a reference to the United Nations, believe me. That all the nations of the world should become one nation to do God's will. And that's what's going to happen in the times of Mashiach, when they all realize the soul... They're all going to drop their differences. It'd be like, you know, imagine, like, remember the Iran-Iraq war? You know, imagine this Iranian, like, gunning down people on the Iraq side, meaning soldiers, and there's soldiers on that side trying to gun him down. Imagine the Iraqi guy gunning down the Iranian guy, and he's like, and you're, like, tapping him on the shoulder. You keep tapping him, and you find, like, what do you want? And you say to him, what if you had been born, like, 500 yards over? What if you were born on that side? He's like, I never thought of it that way. I guess I'd be shooting this way. (laughs) We don't believe in that. So besides the fact that there's, there's the nation of the prophets, the tribe of Israel... And then there's Gentiles who weren't at Sinai. Besides that difference, there's no reason why we're not all totally connected to each other. Now, we have to be a little careful because Jews love assimilating. And we're not allowed to marry Gentiles. Just not allowed. And the Torah prohibits it. Had the Torah not prohibited it, maybe we could. But the Torah prohibits it directly. And Jews love assimilation. Why? Because we're soulful. And soulful and Jew-Gentile doesn't sound very united. You understand? When you're, when you're in soul mode, you don't draw lines between people. Soul mode? Someone who's in soul mode is not going to be creating hierarchy amongst people. But there is... But there is um, Jews are extra assimilatory. We love, we love Gentiles, maybe a little too much, and uh, we just we just want to be one with them. We we just want to be one with the Gentiles, and Jews just assimilate like crazy. They love Jews, love Gentiles, and. The, uh, and by the way, the ultra-Orthodox, they know this, and that's why they're so intense when it comes to like their, 
how do you call it? What's the word? Like, they're distancing. The black hat world is extremely distancing of Gentiles, extremely, because they know that Jews want oneness. We don't believe in hierarchy, and we want we want to assimilate with Gentiles, and therefore the Torah commands us not to do things covenantal like wine drinking with Gentiles. We're not allowed because that's covenantal. It starts with a it starts with a drink, and it ends with kids getting married to each other and stuff like that. We're extremely assimilatory by nature. Majority of Jews today marry Gentiles when they choose a choose a marriage partner. Majority of Jews on this planet will choose Gentiles today. Choose them specifically. It's like a it's like a little peace moment of like, hey, we're just gonna let bygones be bygones, you know. All the blood under the bridge, we're just gonna let it go and and just we're 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 progressive. We're living in a in a new world and we're gonna we're gonna seal it with a with a beautiful intermarriage of Jews and Gentiles. Like, people are literally, while we speak right now, are celebrating just like that. And it's not some. It's the majority of weddings that will happen today in the Jewish world. And they just go right down the river. And I'll prove it to you right now. Raise your hand if you were not raised observant. Jews not raised observant. <laughs> Jews, <laughs> we ran out of people. Jews not raised observant. Hey, we got our first no one. Oh, only two? You were raised observant? You were raised observant? Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't. Oh. They said, were you raised observant? Were you raised observant? No, no. Oh, I thought you meant... You were raised observant? No. Okay, great. We got one. Anyone else not raised observant? You weren't raised observant? I was not raised observant. Great. You weren't raised observant? Okay, you three raise your hand. Okay, we got three. Oh, four. Four. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you to keep your hands up if you're... If you're... Parents are observant. Sorry, keep your hands up if your parents are not observant. Keep your hands up if your grandparents were not observant. Hers is down. Keep your hands up if your great-grandparents were not observant. His is down. I don't know, actually. They, they were probably observant. They were most likely observant if you don't know it. And yours? I only made my great-grandmother. I don't know about the other. Okay. Anyway, I've asked large groups of people where the whole entire groups of birthright group where everyone was raised non-observant. Meaning there was no one in the room who actually was observant. 50 kids, not 40. It was 50. And I asked them all, who's not observant? 50 kids raised their hand. And I said, okay, whose parents were observant? You know, and almost everyone was raised by non-observant parents. Grandparents observant. Right? Put your hands down. So like a couple put their hands down. Great-grandparents observe, were not observant. Were observant. Whatever, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> they all put their hands down. Because, because if you're, if you're, there's almost, you'll never meet someone, almost ever, whose great-grandparents were not observant. Because it only takes four generations if the great-grandparents are not observant, for sure the grandkids are no longer identified as Jewish and they're not on a birthright trip. They're gone. So everyone who th- when you hear Jews say like, yeah, but we're going to raise the kids Jewish. Oh, that's nice. You know, 
good morning. You know, hello, how come, how come it works out that there's no such thing as secular people with great-grandchildren who are still Jewish? I, and I, it even happened in my own family. I went to a funeral. I went to a funeral. One of my great-grandparents' generation was an uncle. And it was quite interesting because we had three, my, three of my brothers are in the funeral. Two of us are in black hats because we found Judaism. And uh, one is just in a kippah because he doesn't wear black hats. And, and uh, the rest of the, all the great-grandkids, it was all great-grandkids running around, there was not one Jewish great-grandchild in that room. Not one Jewish great-grandchild in the room. And th- this person didn't have a few kids. He had five kids. The great-grandfather had five kids. But by the time you got the great-grandkids, there was not one Jew in the room. And there were a lot of people in there. So we're very assimilatory. And, and we, and, but our job is to love. They, they, our job is to love, but with lines. Love, but strong lines. You've got to straddle that. Because the, the ultra-Orthodox world is to not love strong lines. And also, you got to realize that you can't really blame them because the black hat world's Ashkenazic. And the Ashkenazic world has been through hell. And they don't have the secular short-term <coughs> memory. You know how, like, news disappears within three days? Mm-hmm. So they... It's like the Holocaust happened yesterday. The Inquisition was, like, three days ago. The destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans, which was worse than the Holocaust, actually. <coughs> worse than the actual World War II Holocaust, was the Second Temple destruction. That was, like, last week to someone with a black hat. I mean, they just have an extremely current memory, especially on what we went through. Now, obviously, if they're Kabbalists, and they're really, like, super soulful Kabbalists, so then they're going to be much more loving, because just the nature of someone who studies mysticism knows the oneness. So, but if they're just regular Jewish black hat practitioners, they, they have an extremely good memory where everything feels like it just happened. And so they're not very welcoming. And they're not very assimilatory. And they've set up their system, I mean, just to not fit in. Like, try to not fit in as much as possible so that your kids are like, are like several steps away from assimilation. And, and they're, you, know, you know, you realize you can go into Brooklyn and meet people who speak broken English and they're third, fourth generation. Okay, there's a lot more to say. We only got to constant, but I wound up like saying way more than that. So I hope you enjoyed today's class. It was a little heavy. So I'm, I'm like, you know, spiritual people are kind of roller coaster rides. So like sometimes I'm light and fluffy and sometimes I'm super heavy. So I apologize if it was extra heavy today. It's just, I can't control this. It's, it's these are, you know, try, you try teaching a different class every single day for 27 years. You're just going to, it's going to come out different every day. So anyway, we'll have more light classes as the week goes on. Shalom, everybody. Enjoy. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.